All right, this morning's message we've entitled, Believers Are Vessels. We are vessels. Make no mistake about it, God himself is perfectly sufficient in and of himself. We got that? Make no mistake about it. God is absolutely fine by himself. And as we look and go about things in this world and we look around us, there is absolutely no question that creation itself screams to anyone who has half an ear open and half an eye. Screams of his power, his majesty, his beauty. And again, I'd encourage you to come out to see what will be presented in a few weeks on that. If he had chosen not, listen, if he had chosen not to create man, if he had chosen not to save man, if he had chosen not to use man, God would have been perfectly just and holy. He does not change. In fact, as we read in the scriptures, we hear this cry. What is man that thou art even mindful of him? And for anyone who has traveled by air or had the privilege of standing on a mountaintop and looking down, when we get into perspective, the universe or the planet that you and I are on, we shout the same thing. What is man? We think that we are infallible. We think that the world is centered around us until the reality finally sets in on anybody that's a thinking person and we realize how insignificant we are and we realize how small we are and how vulnerable our life is. And yet, isn't it wonderful just the very thought that God did create us in his own image and likeness, unlike anything else that he has created. Though he was perfectly sufficient in his own essence with himself, God in his marvelous grace has chosen to create man. That in and of itself is mind-boggling. Not only that, we know from Scripture that God has gone beyond just creating us. He has chosen to save us. People don't even understand what the term save means. Since we are created beings and we are sinners, all of us, all have come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not a one of us. We all know that. God has given to us, very quickly, built into every human being a conscious so that even the person who says he doesn't want to believe that God exists, should he choose to go in this afternoon to a store and try to rob it, his own conscience, even if he got away with it, would convict him that he did something wrong. God has built that into every single human being. So we are all sinners, and in order to be back into the presence of God or to be in the presence of God, that's what salvation is. Isn't it marvelous that God not only created us, but he then provided the salvation so that we could be with him forever. And as we've seen in our study of John, it is found exclusively in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's marvelous. 
But let's go one step further into our text today. It is absolutely astounding that he's not only chosen to create man, he's not only chosen to save man, but in his marvelous grace and wisdom, he's chosen to use man to accomplish his work. That's staggering, folks. He's chose to use the likes of you and I to accomplish the things that he's doing on this planet. We don't deserve it, but he's chosen to do it. Consider some of these amazing statements just as introduction this morning. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall be witnesses for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. We are God's fellow workers. That is outstanding. Absolutely mind-boggling. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. You, fellow believers, are lights to the world. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Many quote this at baptisms. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I... What does it say? But Christ, what? Lives in me. How's that possible? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. We, believers, are living stones. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. We are citizens with the saints and part of the household of God. John chapter 15, which we haven't gotten to yet, verses Four and five, where he's going to talk about the abiding when we get there. We are fruit bearers for the God of the universe. Second Corinthians, we are ambassadors for Christ. Need I go on anymore? Have we got the point? God not only has chosen to create us and save us, but in his marvelous wisdom and grace, he's chosen to use the likes of you and I to accomplish what he wants to do. God wants to use believers. In fact, he uses all mankind. But he wants to use us as a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. And while we are here on this earth, we are given all things to enjoy. But let us believers never lose focus on the fact that we are to occupy until he comes back because he is coming back. We are to be busy, listen, about our Father's business. We are not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the scripture challenges us daily. Unfortunately, I believe that there are many that are busy but they're not busy about God's work. We all will one day give an account, even as believers, to a holy God. We are to be busy about God's work. Now, what does that include? Let me lay the foundation again. That includes your own family. You're to be busy about God's work in your family as husband and wife, in raising children as children respond to their parents. 
We are to be busy about God's work as we respond to the governments that he has put over us in the way we pray, in the way we behave in response to them. We are to be about our Father's business in the work that we do so that we are to do our service as unto God and not with eye service toward men so that whether we are an employer or an employee, we are serving God and we understand that in the way we conduct ourselves at work. We are to be about our Father's business in the way we have contact with our neighbors, in the way we love them as we would love ourselves. And I would challenge even believers, including myself, how often we don't even know our neighbors anymore, let alone be reaching out to them as Christ did. We are to be functioning within the local church, not in accordance with contemporary thinking, but in accordance with the word of God so that we are exercising our gifts and seeing how the body needs me and I need the body and functioning properly within the local church. And I could go on and on and on. This is all part of God using us as a light to the world and part of what he wants to do to accomplish. We are to be very fruitful. And there are some who are very, very fruitful in everything that they do. Jesus, we have learned in our study of the word of God in John, was going away, specifically to the right hand of the Father. But he is going to come again. And in the meantime, even in our text, he expects his disciples to carry on for him. In our context, Jesus has mentioned that he's going away. His disciples, we saw, became discouraged. And Jesus Christ himself has tried to encourage them. How did he do that? By saying, remember, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But I'm also going to come again. And while Jesus is going away, they wanted to know where he was going to his father, which we have said is in heaven. And he reminded us last week that he is the only way to heaven. And he responded that way. And he went further to give assurance that, number one, he is the Messiah and that he is God. And that the evidence, as he responded to the questions that came out, a question from Philip, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he said his person, his teaching, and his works all testified to the fact that yes, he is the Messiah of God. Yes, he is the Christ. Yes, he's the one that people need to believe on. And yet, as we continue on in our study, his disciples still are going to feel a great loss because he's leaving them. So Jesus, in these few verses that I read this morning, in verses 12 through 17, lays the foundation for the rest of this discourse. The discourse we've already seen, if you were with me since the beginning of this, the discourse started, and it's going to continue on into chapter 17. And in these very few short verses, he lays the foundation for everything that he's going to expand on in the rest of the context. And in continuing to encourage them, he will show them that God wants to use them. Why? He wants to use them to do the works of God this morning. He wants them to be used as vessels for prayer. And he wants to use them so that they can be the place where the third person of the Godhead will indwell. And that affects every believer that's here today. God wants to use us to accomplish his work 
God wants to use us as instruments of prayer, and God has chosen to empower us by enabling us to be a vessel fit for the Holy Spirit's indwelling. First of all, his works. Let's look at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works implied than these he will do. Now, I want you to catch this. Why? Because I go to the Father. First of all, if you're a believer here today, if you're a born-again Christian, and there is no other type, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, I want you to notice the beginning of the verse. He says, he who believes in me, he did not restrict this to just his apostles. All those who believe in him, <clears throat> that is, anyone who has trusted Christ, a person who is saved and forgiven, will be involved in these works. Let me give for just clarification this morning a very important fundamental thing. No one is saved by good works. Ephesians makes that very clear. By trying to be religious, by trying to do certain things such as keep the Ten Commandments, which you cannot do, you will never get to heaven by trying to do that. You will never get to heaven by trying to every day of your life, all your life, help a lame person across the street. Those are wonderful things to do, but that will not get you into heaven. Not of works, lest any man should boast, we are told in Ephesians. Salvation is by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So you don't get saved by that. Romans chapter 3 and chapter 4 make it very clear that if it's salvation comes by, by works, then it's no more by grace. And Jesus Christ taught that it was by grace. So you do not get into heaven. You do not get your sins forgiven by doing penance. You do not get into heaven by trying to be good. It doesn't happen because it cannot pay for your sin. Only Jesus Christ could pay for it, and now he offers it as a free gift. So works do not get you into heaven. However, we are saved to produce good works. And every single believer is in that category. Notice secondly in verse 12 that I em emphasized at the end of the verse, or, or there in the verse, that the reason that we are able to do these works is because he goes to the Father. Jesus Christ came to earth to do the Father's will and to always do the works of the Father. But he's trying to encourage them again, as he said in verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. And right now he's saying to them again, look it, I'm going to use you. And the reason is because I'm going to the Father. If I don't go to the Father, you won't be used in the capacity that I want to use you. So we ought to praise God not only that he has provided salvation, not only that he rose from the dead, and not only that he went up to heaven, but he's still there as our advocate, and he's still there interceding for us, because while he's there, he's using the likes of you and I. So his going away is going to introduce, basically, a new age, a new dispensation, a new covenant, 
put on any, any terminology that you want, but it's going to introduce something new because he's going away. What is that? He tells us that believers are going to be used to do works. The works that I do, he will do also. That raises some questions immediately. How is it possible? Think about it. How is it possible for anyone, let alone a believer, to do the works of Jesus? I mean, I don't know about you, but I look at a verse like this. He says, you'll do the works that I do. Well, we've learned a lot of things so far. And right away it says, how is that possible? Let alone, by the way, notice what the verse says, greater works than Jesus. Are you kidding me? So you read these verses, you take them for granted, but what does he mean? Well, let me tell you, first of all, that some have taken this as a blank check for miracles, that God wants us basically to do any and all kinds of miracles. I think the first question ought to be, well, what were the works of Jesus? If we're going to talk about our works and we're going to do greater than he did, then we need to understand what works are in the first place that Jesus did. So we need to make some distinctions. Go with me to chapter 2 of John. We're going to keep it local. Go to chapter 2 of John. I want you to see something. We first need to make a distinction. Many have understood works to mean miracles. Well, first of all, I want you to see this that we've already learned. In John chapter 2, verse 11, because by our context in John, we will understand what he's saying. In John chapter 2, verse 11, it says the beginning of his signs. This is a different word. The beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. He used the word signs in reference to, that means miracles, such as the water being changed to wine, the feeding of the 5,000 that we've seen in the book, okay? Walking on water we've seen in John. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. Those are some of the signs that he did. Now, the miracles of the signs had a purpose. that We've already learned this in John. The purpose that John had in mind was that by these miracles, they would understand that Jesus is the Messiah. They were to authenticate who he was. Is that, what, is that all that he's talking about and what he's talking about in John chapter 14? First of all, he uses a different word. He doesn't use the word sign. He uses the word ergon meaning a work. And if you want to break it down, it simply means this, a task assigned to someone by someone else. You can't get any simpler. That word means that tasks that have been assigned to someone by someone else, such as an employer and an employee relationship, a master-servant relationship, a father-son relationship, or God to believer relationship. It is a general term that may include miracles. Go with me to John chapter 7. I want you to see this. John chapter 7. We have to understand what Jesus has been talking about. In John chapter 7, if you look at verse 7 for a moment, it says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Now, when you go on in that chapter and you come down all the way through, and I'll get down to verse 21, it says, Jesus answered them, I did one deed, and you all marvel. That word deed there is the same word that we have here later on in John. I do one work. He was referring back to a miracle. 
And the point that I'm trying to make is this. It may include a miracle, but this term works goes far beyond that. The works of Jesus Christ, and I'll show you that just in John's Gospel in a second, also involved the selecting of his apostles. The works that God gave to Jesus Christ also included his teaching. The works of Jesus Christ also included his crucifixion. The works of Jesus Christ encompassed everything that he did in obedience to the Father, not just miracles. Let me give it to you in rapid fire. Go with me to John chapter 4. Just in John's Gospel. John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, I believe it's essential that we understand this to understand what he's talking about. We're going to do his works or greater works. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, watch this, and to accomplish, same word, his work. His food was to do every single thing that the Father wanted him to do. It may include a miracle, but it wasn't limited to a miracle. It included everything that the Father wanted done. Look at the use of the word in chapter 5, verse 36. Same word that we're coming across in chapter 14. In verse 36, but the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. Why? For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify of me that the Father has sent me. That included everything that he did. Everything in obedience, not just the miracles. Go with me to chapter 6, verse 28. People even had this question. Therefore they said to him, what shall we do? Remember this? So that we may work the works of God. We want to know. Watch. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. Here's one of them that you believe on him whom he sent. You see, it's not just a miracle. It is everything that the Father, and one of the works that he says is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot more just in that passage, but jump down to chapter 10, because it's closest to our text. Chapter 10. I hope you're getting the point. If we're going to understand what works we can do are greater than Jesus, we have to understand what his works were. Chapter 10, verses 36 to 38. Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified, that's Jesus Christ, and sent into the world, you blaspheme because I said, that's his teaching, I am the Son of God. If you do not believe the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, that included his teachings that he was the Messiah. If I do them, Though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in him. In this particular case, the works of Jesus Christ were his teaching that he was the Messiah to them. And the point I'm saying is, when we go back to chapter 14, okay, which is where I want you to go back, in, in John chapter 14, when he says, the works that I do, you will do also. Now, some of his disciples did miracles, yes. But this is the point. It's everything in obedience to the will of the Father. That was the work of Jesus Christ. Everything that the Father wanted him to do, Jesus Christ obeyed. 
And what he's looking for us and the way we will do his works is by obeying everything that God wants us to do. Did his disciples do miracles? Yes. But his disciples also taught and that laid the foundation for the church. His apostles also were obedient and went where God wanted him to go so that the gospel went beyond Jerusalem and went to the Gentiles. Their sharing their testimony, their sharing of the gospel with others was part of the works of God for them. And it is also part of the works of God for us. A believer is not saved by works, but he's called unto works. Let me just read for you. To, if you want to mark it down to save some time, mark the verses. I'll read them. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Listen to this. He says this. Speaking of Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people, now listen, a his own possession, zealous for good works. He saved us for that purpose. In chapter 3 of Titus, verse 1, remind them to be subject, listen, to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. The believer in his response to government is part of the good works that he's talking about, the way we respond. Chapter 3 of Titus, verse 8. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed in God, believers, will carefully engage in good works. Those who have believed will be engaged in good works. In verse 14, same book, he says this, Our people must also learn how to engage in good works to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. He's talking about believers meeting the needs of other believers. So when we're talking about works in chapter 14, don't think in terms of what Jesus Christ expects us to do is go out and do miracles. He simply expects us to obey. Obey what God has for us. And when he says that they will do the works of Jesus Christ, it is very practical. When you and I are in obedience to authority, when you are, and I are preaching the gospel, and I'll just challenge you right there. When is the last time you shared the gospel with somebody else? Say, well, it's been a while. Well, you're not being very obedient. You're not doing the works of God. Let me be real practical. Let me start with this guy. When's the last time you loved your spouse as Christ loved the church? If you're not doing that, you're not obedient. You're not doing the works of God. When is the last time you spent time to make sure you're raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the work of God. It's practical. When's the last time as an employee you were so diligent that you were serving as if Christ was watching you right there so you didn't take advantage of the break, so you didn't steal something from work or you didn't do whatever? If you're not doing that, you're not doing the work of God. When's the last time in our attitudes that we'd have this mind so that we're seeking things that are above rather than things on the earth? And how many of us are busy with things of the earth and not even thinking about things above? The work of God includes that practical application. 
How many of us are walking in purity of heart and mind? That's what God's called every believer to. You see, it's practical. The works that Jesus Christ did were that. He always did that which satisfied, whether it was in reference to government, so that when he was challenged, do you pay taxes? Hey, go down and get the fish, take the coin, pay the taxes. Should I render to Caesar that which is Caesar's? Absolutely. And it didn't matter what area of government. When it came to respecting his parents, he did that. When it came to every single aspect, he obeyed God. And that's what believers are called to do. Now, how in the world, let's go back to John chapter 14. If we first of all understand when he says, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he's talking about obedience to the commands of God. That's going to become evident, by the way, because you're going to see that he says, if you love me, verse 15, you will keep my commandments. That is the evidence. You can say you love Jesus Christ all you want. And there are many that are doing that. But if you're not obeying Jesus Christ, if you and I are not submitting to what God wants for us, we don't love him like we think we do. No matter what we say. And that includes being ready to give someone the reason for the hope that lieth in us. What an opportunity when you talk about Christmas. What an opportunity. But then he says, this is amazing. He will do also greater works than these. Look at it, the end of the verse. And he will, the greater works than these he will do. How in the world can we do greater works than these? Well, I think John's got an answer for us again. Go with me to one more verse. And you're right, I'm not going to get to the next two points. And next week, because it's the week before Christmas, we'll concentrate really on a challenging message we got in Christmas. But in John chapter 5, look at verse 20. It's the only other place in John he uses the expression, I believe. And so if we're going to compare it and understand, let's look back there. In John chapter 5, verse 20, he said this, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him, same expression, greater works than these, so that you will marvel. The Father was working in Jesus Christ in a way, so that as he was obedient, he was displaying Christ to the world, and even at this point, there was other things that would be accomplished in the life of Christ that would cause the world that would greater works. What does that include? For the sake of time, it includes the crucifixion. It includes bringing others, drawing them to the cross of Calvary. So when he's talking about us doing greater works, if you go back to chapter 14, he, how can you do something greater than raising somebody from the dead like Lazarus was raised? We think in terms of more amazing. That's not what he's talking about at all. How can we do something more amazing than raise Lazarus? How can we do something more amazing than Christ going to the cross of Calvary? You can't. So you've got to take it in the context. How, what does he mean then by more amazing? Well, let me give you some possibilities, and I'll give you specifically for time's sake what I believe it is. If you take the ministry of Jesus Christ, consider this. His ministry was entirely in the Palestine area. Entirely. Secondly, Jesus, according to Acts chapter 2, if you want to mark it down, verse 15, and according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, only had hundreds of followers. That's it. 
When he left and he went back up in the clouds in Acts chapter 1, they said, why are you looking up there? He's coming back in the same manner. And then they get together, you find there's 300 of them. That's amazing. All the ministry of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and only 300. Let me ask you a question right there for a little tangent. Did he fail? People sometimes think if you haven't got a church of 10,000, you failed, or you've got to have big numbers. Oh, yeah? What did Jesus Christ do? He only had 12 disciples, and they all turned on him. One betrayed him. Then when you look at the ministry and he left, he only left 300 in a room. Doesn't sound very successful to me. It was very successful because those 300 knew him and they were the ones that he was going to use to do his works and works even greater. How does that happen? You don't go very far to find out. Because in Acts chapter 2, Peter, who just denied the Lord, has been changed, and he does greater works immediately. He preaches a sermon, and 3,000 get saved at one time. That, if I have it correctly, is 10 times those that were meeting for prayer who Jesus left behind. Greater response immediately. You then learn that 5,000 get saved. You then learn that they're going to be witnesses beyond Jerusalem and Judea and into Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the world. And God is using the likes of you and I today to reach the world for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. And you and I have opportunities where others get saved and we don't know how people's lives have been affected. It's amazing. We are now reaching the Jews and the Gentiles. Jesus Christ concentrated on who? The Jews. He came to them because they were the ones who were the people of God that he was called to. Let me give you some examples to try to make it practical for you and then come back to you. Remember the woman in the well in John chapter 4? She has done greater works in a sense than Jesus did. You say, what are you talking about? Do you know what happened when she found out that Jesus was the Christ? She went back into her own town, and all of a sudden, many, and the scriptures say, many more, and then the scriptures say, and many, many more got saved because of the witness of one woman. Do you know how many today are living in the year 2000? I've got to say 10 because we're not in 11 yet. 2010 that have been influenced by the testimony of that woman at the well and have come to Christ and her work is still continuing on today. How many of you have had God work in your heart because of a simple tax collector that stood and said, God be merciful to me, a sinner? That testimony is still carrying on today. How many have been brought to the cross of Calvary and brought to salvation by a simple thief on a cross who did nothing other than to turn around and say, he's done nothing amiss. God, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus Christ said, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. And many have still been turned to salvation because of the testimony of that man. And to this day, great works are being accomplished for the name and glory of God because of that simple life. What about in our immediate context where the woman cried and used her tears and her hair to wipe the Lord's feet? What did the Lord say? That her testimony will continue in every generation will remember that. 
what she did. How many of you heard of likes of a, man, of a woman named Lydia and been encouraged by her? Philemon and that little small book. How many of you have ever heard of a man by the name of Paul, who was named Saul, who was a murderer, who hated the church of Jesus Christ, and today his life and his work for the glory of God is continuing on and has probably brought some in this room to salvation, as God uses his word. What am I trying to point out? That's what he's talking about. When I go to my father, my obedience to the father that you've been witnessing, those type of works will be produced in your life and the works will be even greater because God had a specific purpose for Jesus Christ. He came back and because it all started with this, God has chosen, though he didn't have to, to use the likes of each and every believer. Be encouraged this morning if you know Jesus Christ. God's desire is to accomplish greater works through your life. There may be many people, I have no doubt, that most people that have ever lived have never heard the name Dan Trapania. I could care less whether they ever hear that. But I hope that while my time here on earth is spent, that through my life they hear about Jesus Christ. And he gets honor and glory through my life, and that should be the same for you. Because that will go on through your family, into other countries, into other places in the world, beyond anything that you can imagine. And God wants to accomplish that. If that doesn't stir you up as a believer to want to be used by God, he wants to use our lives to accomplish greater works, to reach the lives of other people. And right here at this time, in this month, in this day, in this age, with all that's going on with the celebration of Christmas, every single believer in this room has the opportunity to let people know what that birth was all about. And that will go on for generation to generation to generation until Jesus Christ comes back. It's exciting. Every believer, he's laying only the foundation. He's going to talk about it more. Every believer will accomplish the works of Jesus Christ through obedience as we submit to God's will in our life in every practical area that I've mentioned. And there'll be greater works than Christ, not in the sense of amazement, but in the sense, won't it be wonderful one day when we stand before God and you've had the opportunity, maybe, let me just try to make it practical, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody and then you never see them again until you see them in the presence of God. Can you imagine the joy of the Sunday school teacher that witnessed to a man by the name of Billy Graham, to a man who witnessed to Spurgeon? Can you imagine? That Sunday school teacher never envisioned by being faithful to the things of God how many people would be saved through that life. Make it practical again. There is no question in my mind that my sister Pat, who is in glory right now, never envisioned 
that if I take the time to witness to my brother Dan, one day he will be standing in a pulpit proclaiming God's word to everybody else. That's greater works in her life because she was faithful to obey. Fellow believer, what an incentive to live for Christ in obedience. And if you don't know Christ, <laughs> look what you are missing out on. The opportunity to be used gloriously for all eternity by the one true living God. The world calls it foolish. God calls it glorious, greater works, because he gets the glory. We'll have to stop here. Let's close in prayer. Father in God, what a privilege to be not only called a child of God, but to be left on earth. Father, we are the fruit of the apostles. We are the fruit of the work of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, as you took those men and took them out of Jerusalem and brought them to Judea and then Samaria and the uttermost part of the world, we are still the fruits of that going out and out and out. And Father, we thank you for that. And that you have thought worthy not only to create us and save us, but to use us to accomplish the work of God. Amazing. Astounding. Humbling. But I pray, Father, that the heart of every person that knows Jesus Christ in this room will be stirred up to see that you want to do mighty works, even works greater than those accomplished by your son in the sense of the outreach, the impact, even while we're here on earth. Help us to yield to the Spirit of God. Help us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind afresh. Help us to be stirred up with a zeal to share with others that hope that lieth in us, to be obedient to those who are in authority over us, to raise our households the way we should, to be a witness to our neighbors the way we should, to work hard. And I pray, Father, and ask if there be those in the room that have not yet come to Christ, might they see that that glorious birth in Bethlehem led to the, that babe going to the cross of Calvary to pay the penalty and price for sin so that as they believe in him through faith, they could be given the gift of eternal life and be part of the church of Jesus Christ, vessels that could be used by you to be a witness and testimony to the world. Might they come to that today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.